Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, do you have a knock-knock joke for I me? sure do. Let's have it. Knock-knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow. Moo! Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. That's one yeah. of the classics. Do you see that? How, yeah. I, how I interrupted you because I was the cow interrupting and... Yeah. And when the cow interrupts you, it like it breaks your brain. Like for a split second, you're like, what's happening? Because you're messing with the flow of the joke, and then you're mooing, and it's mm-hmm. just like it's a, like a cognitive weapon. Okay, so what does the interrupting cow have to do with what we're talking about today? It has everything to do with us multitaskers and the different ways that we interrupt ourselves and distract ourselves and the sort of psychic toll that it takes on us. Yeah. Are you a multitasker? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Are you good at it? No. (laughs) No. Uh, You know, of course, I've thought uh, that I was good at it. I I think that at some points I thought of myself as like being like the judo master of of multitasking and, you know, sort of like moving through space and time Mm -hmm. in the most efficient way. But as we will find out, that is a myth. We are not good at multitaskers. Um, There are a few people who are good. They're super taskers. We'll talk about that. That's like the 1%. That is the 1%. We are the 99%. Uh, We'll talk about those guys as super taskers in another podcast, though. Of course, the thing about multitasking is that, okay, you you know you're not good at multitasking. You you do it anyway because it's a necessity in this uh, life that we live. And I, and I, I know I'm not good at multitasking either, but I sometimes kind of trick myself into thinking I'm doing something other than multitasking. Like I think that I can have... Uh, tweet that going in the background mm-hmm. for the social media stuff and have my email open and be listening to music and working on something and then and then having to jump to another project shortly after that and I think that that's that it's working for me uh, and a lot of people though are actually they actually believe that they are good at multitasking at least in some instances like they think that it's totally cool to study for an exam while watching Saved by the Bell or whatever the kids watch these days. They, and uh, and there have been some studies into it, particularly uh, Zing Wang, the lead author of a study and assistant professor of communications at Ohio State University, and and uh, Zing was very interested in exactly uh, how this plays out and why people are so confident in their ability to do something that they're not good at. Yeah, I mean, most everyone thinks that they're a great multitasker. Yeah, even if you you may ask somebody in your life, you may you may ask them, hey, are you a great multitasker? And they'll say. Uh, you know, no, I'm not really. But they still think that they can they can do some of these things, such as the the classic uh, talk on the phone while driving, or God help us, text while doing some driving. Yeah, and again, we'll talk more about that in the next podcast. But um, what I think that Zhang Wang was trying to get at is why do we do this? What what compels yeah, us? Yeah, why are we so satisfied with ourselves over it? Yeah, why do we think that we're doing a great job here? Um, because really, the, it is an illusion. Um, you know, when you're multitasking, you feel really productive. Um, but there was this this one great psychiatrist who said, his name is Edward M. Holloway. He said that uh, we think that we're multitasking, but we're really not. It's like playing tennis with three balls. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so Zeng Wen got at the bottom of this by recording students' media use and other activities for 28 days including uh, why they use these vari- various media sources and what they got out of it. And he said that they seem to be misperceiving the positive feelings they get from their multitasking. They are not being more more productive. They just feel more emotionally satisfied from their work. Yeah. So as you had said, studying for exam and watching 
Saved by the Bell? I guess. I mean, that's. <laughs> I never did that, but I certainly would try to combine studying and watching TV. It's kind of a, you know, the, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Kind right, of right. Um, and he said that they felt satisfied not because they were effective at studying, but because the additional or the addition of TV made the studying entertaining. So they were entertaining themselves while they were studying, which I think is really interesting. Um, and he's saying that this combination of activities accounts for the good feelings that were obtained. Okay, the problem here is that when you are studying, and when you're doing this, when you're trying to do a deep dive into something and recall that information later, uh, what you find is that you have a very low level of of retaining that information. Yeah, all you can picture is screech. And you're, you're like, that's not it. I need the, the, the theorem I was studying, and all I can picture is screech. And again, this is something we'll go into a bit more in terms of what multitasking does to short-term and long-term mm-hmm. memory. But for uh, the purposes of this study, Zhang Wang was just saying, I feel like everybody should Zhang Wang tonight, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I had to say it. Um, Zhang Wen was really just trying to say, look, it's not, it's not effective. Yeah, the problem is that it is emotionally fulfilling, and that's the the, the key here. Is that when you're doing it, when you're when you're cooking and also um, you know studying for an exam and watching TV and maybe you know doing a little DJing on the side, it, you're doing all these things. And in the in the heat of the moment, it probably feels pretty awesome. You're like, wow, I am just totally ruling here i'm reaganing like 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 hardcore just to succeeding at every task set before me mm-hmm. and then afterwards you, you wind up you realize that the uh the the mix you were working on is horrible the food is burned you <laughs> didn't understand what you were studying and you're really confused on the plot for the plot of the, the show you're watching on tv you end up not doing really good at any of the tasks you were you do everything poorly uh but emotionally you for at least for a few seconds there you were you were floating on air. You really felt like you were you were succeeding. You had figured it out. Um, You're it, basking in the glory of multitasking. Yeah, it reminds me. There's a, a bit on The Simpsons where Bart goes to the park where all the old men are playing chess, and there's this little um, montage of him playing three different games of tre- chess at three mm-hmm. different tables, and you, it's setting it up like it's going to be this child prodigy thing where he's he's just totally ruling in each of these games. But then he's it's a checkmate, like in just a, a turn or two on each one. He ends up losing each one really bad. And that's, I think, a, a pretty good model for multitasking and the illusion of, of multitasking. So do you think that there are any exceptions? Are there, are there any times that we can multitask and do it well? Yes. I mean, according to the, the studies, it... And, and you have to define well. Like there's, there, for instance, proficiently, proficiently, like with, for instance, with driving. Yes, there are things you can do while driving and not die, but uh, most of the time. But it doesn't mean you should do them. Uh, but generally, it comes down to: Are you combining two visual tasks? Uh, because that's not going to work. Uh, for instance, looking at a text screen while driving, watching a TV while also trying to watch the dinner you're cooking? Or are you combining an auditory and a visual task? Are you cooking while listening to the radio? Are you, uh, like in my case, are you researching a topic while listening to music? Or are you uh, doing some sort of, and also it comes down to how much cognitive power is involved. Like, I don't really listen to audio podcasts with words in them anymore, Mm -hmm. but I used to do more of that when I had a boring newspaper job and I was like building pages on a screen. Mm -hmm. It was a mindless task, so I had the cognitive room to fill up with a whole bunch of podcasts and NPR radio shows and stuff. 
Well, um, I'm thinking even more sort of rote activities like walking and chewing gum. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because when it comes to that, you know, the, the more simplistic activities that don't take up a lot of mental energy, yeah, we can do them, right? Especially yeah. if they're things that we've done over and over again. Um, but can we walk and talk at the same time? And, and still multitask. Well, some would say that perhaps not. Um, in a study by Hyman et al., in 2009, people talking on their cell phones while walking ran into people more often. That's not a surprise, I think. Mm-hmm. And didn't know, didn't notice what was going on around them. The researchers, this is my favorite part, the researchers had someone in a clown suit ride a unicycle. <laughs> the people talking on a cell phone were much less likely to notice or remember the clown. So even something as simplistic as that, um, you can see that, that our attention is bifurcated. We can't necessarily pay attention to the degree that we really need to. Your brain, it turns out, can only do one thing at a time well. Yeah. So whatever else you're doing right now, stop it. Just listen to this podcast. <laughs> and unless it's driving, you know, don't stop driving. Pull over. Pull over. Pause pause the podcast. Pull over. <laughs> listen to the rest of it underneath the uh, overpass. Okay, but the question becomes to what degree is this self-sabotage? What I mean, how much do we interrupt ourselves in this multitasking and distract ourselves? We are going to try to attempt to answer this question right after this message. Okay, we're back. Now, let's think about some typical multitasking, particularly at the office, because this is where we, we uh, tend to multitask a lot. It's when you're sedentary and your brain is buzzing, you tend to try to figure out as many ways to accomplish tasks as possible, right? All right. So i got so, my cell phone. I've got my email open. I've uh-huh. got TweetDeck. Uh-huh. may have the Facebook page open separately. Uh-huh. I've got one or two windows open for my documents. I've got my iTunes playing. And like sixteen windows in Firefox. Okay, let's also add on that maybe you have you're on a teleconference call and you have it on mute. Of okay, course, yeah, right. Yeah, because nobody wants to hear anybody chewing gum while, while they're conducting a teleconference. Um, oh, and you might be chewing gum too. There you, there go, you go. Right. Yeah. So there's a 2005 study, and it's called "No Task Left Behind." examining the nature of fragmented work. And it found that people were interrupted and moved from one project to another about every 11 minutes. And each time, it took about 25 minutes to circle back to that same project. Now, that's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. They're interrupted either by themselves, they did something, or maybe someone stopped by, or I don't know, maybe um, someone was clipping their nails in the office, because that, that can be interrupting. Oh, sorry about that. No, that's all right. They grow really, I mean, they're, they're just really hard and hard to cut. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, so it ends up and your hair really grows loud. pretty fast. I get it. I get it. Um, uh, they need to be maintained. Actually, it wasn't outing you, but that seems to be the case. <laughs> but in, in any case, there are tons of interruptions, um, but it's every 11 minutes. Yeah. How do we get things done? I mean, I guess at a very slow pace. I mean, because you also have to count in going to the bathroom, drinking water and coffee, which then ups the amount of times you have to go to the bathroom. And on the plus side, if you're like me and you can't really sit still for very long, you do get a lot of pacing in, so it's good <laughs> exercise. Right. But, but yeah, I've, I have found myself you know, working on a project, something I need to get done, and then I either I go to check in on social media, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about private social media, but like work social media, another mm-hmm. work task. 
and uh, and you'll kind of go down the rabbit hole there, and then you come back around. It's like, oh, well, a half hour has passed, and now I'm finally getting back to the task that I am working on today. Now, the thing, though, is that it seems... Um it seems so easy to, to vanquish this problem. If you had only one thing you were working on, it wouldn't take you 25 minutes to get back to that, right? Because right. you wouldn't go bouncing around the five different things that you are working on simultaneously. Uh, but, of course, that's just, I think in this day and age, something that we're not going to do. Yeah, right? for the most you, part. Because, you know, it's one thing to, like, say, cut, shut down TweetDeck and say, all right, I'm done social media for the day, not opening that until I get done with this task. Mm-hmm. But if you close out your work email, you're li- it's, there's liable to be a fire drill. I mean, not a literal fire drill, but there's going to be somebody going to shoot you an important email, and then they're going to they're gonna wonder where you went, what happened to you. Um, so our, our jobs increasingly, uh, and, uh, and as one of these papers pointed out, especially when you look at, at the businesses that have scaled down, that have combined positions, um, everyone's doing six or seven different things. Uh, so by necessity, they have various tasks that have to be completed, and they end up overlapping. It's true. I mean, you're right. It's just part of the environment. Um, Gloria Mark is a professor of info- informatics at the University of California at Irvine and co-author of the study, The Cost of Interrupted Work, More Speed and Stress. And she says that people were, um, in this study, as likely to self-interrupt as to be interrupted by someone else. So, again, I think that it speaks to this behavior. It's not just an outside force acting on us. It's something internal that doesn't allow us to uh, necessarily concentrate for, for large chunks of time. She said that uh, as observers, we'll watch, and then after every 12 minutes or so, for no apparent reasons, someone working on a document will turn and call someone or email. She thinks that the increasingly shorter attention span probably has something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, and and you can definitely see Internet and gadgets as being a part of that because you used to, if you were going to be distracted by the book you're reading, you're distracted by the book you had with you or maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, the two or three books you had on you. If you're distracted by music, I mean, how much music could you have on hand at your desk at any given time, and how much research material could you possibly have? But today, I mean, we have Kindles with potentially every book ever on it when you start factoring in the cloud. Same deal with your with your music. And then the, the, uh, the Internet is just a, a never-ending pit of random questions and facts. Well, isn't this kind of like a feedback loop, too, yeah. right? I mean, we're conditioning ourselves to make these 12, 11, 12 minute breaks. Yeah. Uh, just because we've gotten used to it. And so, for, you know, I was, it was very hard to do the research actually on this podcast and the, the next one that we're about to do, uh, because I really became hyper aware of my own behavior. I don't know if you felt that way when you were doing research mm-hmm. and the various ways that we self interrupt or, um, or go about things. Uh, it was, it was kind of odd to have all of this in mind as yeah. I was doing the research and then watch my own movements. Um, all right, so what Mark says and what other cognitive psychologists say is that what we're seeing is this attentional residue occur. So it's not just the cognitive cost of, uh, associated with context switching, something called resumption lag, or the potential for errors, something, again, we'll talk about in the next podcast. Um that the actual residue of the interruption of event, working memory impairment, that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. on a subsequent task when tasks are left unfinished. And as we know, uh, tasks that we haven't closed the loop on exactly. really become problematic. We talked about big those holes in our head, basically, in our in our in our minds, in our in our uh, perception of the world around us, and our willpower, yeah. right? Because we're spending a lot of mental energy on on sort of trying to. Uh, 
check off these boxes in our minds and we keep returning to these same open loops. And if we don't close them, then we're going to sit there and figure out, okay, well, how do I get to do that when I also have five different things open on my screen right now and I have to do these things? And I think that comes back around to why uh, multitasking is emotionally pleasing while we're doing it, Mm -hmm. because we have that feeling that we're closing like three or four loops at once, even if we're barely closing those loops or closing them really poorly or closing them by just failing them. You know, because you're, you're like, let's see, what do I have to do today? I have to I have to cook dinner, finish that mix, watch that TV show. That's kind of the thing I, I want to do. And then I need to study for that test. But look at me. I'm doing all four at once. Super loop closer. Right. Yeah. I feel like the judo master. Yeah. Um, so time of day is also a factor. It turns out that, and this is the same um, study that Gloria Mark did, that the time of day is really important because the earlier it is, uh, the more someone is distracted. Really? Mm-hmm. And huh. as, as time creeps on, the less that they will self-distract or engage in other distractions. Uh, and she's saying this is uh, possibly because we're more likely to get into the flow of activity later in the day, or you might say, hey, I only have X amount of hours left. Well, yeah, that's true. You get, you get down to the deadline. And yeah, you're going to be extremely motivated. Yeah, that's true. I have a little uh, sign in my in my cubicle that says "Non casiagiari," and mm. I cannot say what that means in English, but it basically says like "Don't mess around." Okay. Focus. Yeah, and for our Italian listeners, I do apologize for whatever Julie just said. Yeah, and I apologize for the way that I I just pronounced it. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. We uh, dipped our toe into the world of multitasking, and we'll be back to talk about that in a future episode. Yeah, and we'll take a much deeper dive into that. All right. Well, let's call the robot over and do uh, some quick listener mail. All right. We heard from Tara. Tara writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. I was listening to your Labyrinth episode, and you mentioned uh, the Goofy uh, the goofy cartoons, the how-to cartoons, and I just want to let you know that this series of cartoons were made because at the time they did not have a voice actor for Goofy uh, as the man who was doing it had quit, I believe. Uh, last year, I had the privilege to speak to the current voice of Goofy, and these cartoons came up. Uh, and this was a way to keep Goofy's cartoons going without having to worry about his voice. Keep up the great work. Smiley face. And we also heard, heard from Josh Harding, who wrote in. And Josh uh, Harding says, Dear Robert and Julie, I just listened to your Labyrinth episode, and it reminded me of a personal experience of mine. Last summer, I spent some time volunteering with the nonprofit group Earthwatch, which landed me in the cloud forest of Ecuador. The hike up to the top was excruciating, even for someone who is in fairly decent physical condition. Something like a 2,000-meter-long trail with an 800-meter climb, if I recall correctly. That's about one and a fourth mile long and a a one-half mile climb. That may not seem like much, but consider that I live at sea level. The humidity was 100%, and the climb started at about one mile in elevation. Needless to say, I was out of breath for a majority of the hike. When the group reached the top... We were allowed to drop our gear and explore the surrounding trails, which I did. I quickly found myself on a winding path that was naturally carved away by rainwater. There were no forks, and it was a gradual slope. The trail had walls of mud between one and two meters tall that were covered in moss, ferns, and orchids. Also, there was the occasional fallen tree overhanging the path. 
As soon as I began walking down the path, I felt a noticeable dip in temperature. My heart rate dropped considerably, and the cramping in my legs disappeared. Now, thanks to your podcast, I can shed a little light on what was happening to me. I walked that path every afternoon right after our work and before dinner. It had the same effect every time. It is now my go-to place that I escape to in my head when I get stressed out at work. Thanks, you guys, for an awesome podcast. Josh. And he included a, a really cool picture, too, mm-hmm. that showed that path uh, through the, uh, the the cloud forest. I like how that's something that he, that experience of walking that path is something that he invoked in his mind, and, and that, that's an experience that he can revisit again and again. Yeah, and it does remind me that, that nature walks, um, when you have a path, I mean, it's essentially a labyrinth. You're, you're guided on this path. You don't have to worry about how I'm going to cut through the forest because this is the pathway through the forest. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you're communing with nature in the whole process. So. so there you go. If you don't have a true labyrinth, you can always seek one out in a park-like setting, cloud forest. All right. So if you guys would like to reach out to us, uh, see what we're up to, find out about the upcoming podcast episodes, you can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Tumblr. Um, we are stuffed to blow your mind on both of those. And on Twitter, we go by the handle Blow the Mind. And those are all great things to follow, too, if you just want to support the show. Just, you know, give us a like, throw us a little, uh, you know, support there on Twitter or Tumblr. And uh, certainly don't forget the, uh, the iTunes page for our podcast. Go there, leave us a really nice review. Uh, that really helps things out. And you can always send us a letter at blowthemindatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.